And hello, Lighthouse family. Good to see you once again. And uh, we're back in the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, looking through at verses 8 through 10. I think sometimes we ask ourselves the question, uh, do you ever wonder why God delays judgment, especially on this wicked world? As we see what's happening in our world today, we wonder, why does God delay? Why, why doesn't God do something? And why doesn't Christ return to judge the world as he promised? And then you realize, what if he returned to judge the world and I was still maybe an unbeliever? That would not be a good thing. I would have been lost. And while we join millions of believers down through the centuries in praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, we have to be content to leave the timing in God's hands. Peter wrote this letter to the churches where false teachers were scoffing at the promise of Christ coming again to judge the world. Their theological errors stem from their greedy, lustful lifestyles. Although they claimed to believe in Christ, they did not submit to him as Lord. Their evil views were snaring some who professed to be Christians. So Peter was writing to refute their errors by showing that if Jesus Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead, then you must live in submission to his lordship. And so we're going to look at three verses today, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through to 10. But before we turn to God's word, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it is inspired and that it is inerrant. And I pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, as people listen to this message and watch online, that you will encourage them in their walk with Christ. And not only that, Lord, that you'll grant them discernment and understanding as the scripture is revealed to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10, we read these words. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So when you read verse 8, you are immediately challenged over the issue of time. See, we all tend to measure our days in terms of 24-hour periods. We all tend to complain that there's never enough time to do the things that are required to do every day. We say, I, I wish there was more time. I wish I could have more time to do these things. And here, Peter challenges on our comprehension of time to learn to see from God's perspective how he sees time. That's really a big challenge for all of us. We are finite creatures trying to see God's viewpoint, and God's viewpoint is going to really stretch us a lot. So Peter's reference in verse 8 is to the same as a reference to what we see in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse 4. We read the psalmist David saying, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Michael Green said this, God sees time with a perspective we lack, with an intensity we lack. See, God can see of all of history in one moment. He can stretch out a day, no problems. See, time is God's gift. And he's invited us to pray, to watch, and to work till he comes. So Peter stresses the significance of time, its value to God, who has throughout incarnation immersed himself in human history. 
So Peter's stressing the eternity of God with human speculation. The delay of the day of the Lord is a problem that the prophets all faced. We mentioned that last week. In Habakkuk 2, verse 3, For still the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. The day only seems long because of our limited perspective. And we live in a world where we're used to 24-hour periods of time, and if things don't happen in a certain amount of time, uh, we get upset, we get angry. Or you get in a drive-through, and you're going through the drive-through, and the lady ahead of you has just ordered, I don't know what she's ordered, but you're sitting there for 10 minutes, waiting to get through, and you're going like, what is taking so long? Or perhaps you're like me, you go to the grocery store, and I, I've been there, and I'm thinking like, which line, when I take my carriage, is going to go through the fastest? And inevitably, the one I pick is always the slowest. And you say, well, maybe I can go through the express line, but you know, you have to have only 12 items to get through the express line, and that doesn't quite work. But yet, we need to understand that God's time is not our time. so hard to really grasp that. Uh, Barnett said this, Faith orients man to eternity, whereas scoffers remain children of time. Then we see verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why would Peter make such a statement, you ask? Why remind them of this? Because God was being accused of being slow. He was accused of being slack. And the word slow carries with it the idea of impotence or the inability to accomplish that which God had purposed. They're questioning God. God, God doesn't really come through when we want him to on our time, uh, on our time schedule. You see, God does not lack the strength to accomplish his goals, for he, the scripture says, is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Therefore, God does not delay his coming because he's weak. It is his patience towards mankind that keeps him from returning. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish. In 1 Peter 3, verse 20, going back to what we studied earlier, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. This shows that God was patient in the days before the flood and that his patience kept the flood waters from covering the earth because he was not willing that any should perish. It, the scripture says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Why well, He was presenting the, the good news of Christ that they could be saved and, and to come to God. But nobody responded except for his family. See, God does not desire that anyone should perish in the days before the flood or even now. God's wishes for that all humanity will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is ready and willing to show all men His mercy. The reason He's not returned because He doesn't want anyone to perish. There's still people out there, my friend, that need to be saved. People that need to hear that need to hear the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save mankind from their sin. But sometimes the church is so slack 
we're going about our time on this earth with our focus on everything but the gospel without the the inference of sharing the good news of Christ with people who desperately need it. We say we're so busy doing what? So he holds back to give men and women the opportunity to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. God, the scripture says, has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In Ezekiel 18.23, we read these words. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should return from his way and live? God has no pleasure in that. However, there is a day coming, my friend, when God will say, time's up. I'm coming back. We need to remember that as Christians, we must be careful to use the time while God is being patient to share the truth with people who, who need Christ. The greatest need of this world is not necessarily an antivirus for this pandemic, which is definitely a need. The greatest need of this world is that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The answer to this world's crying need is the gospel. It has never changed, and it never will. The directive here really is to believers. We need to be sure that we are right with Christ, because if he's coming back, you better be ready. He's addressing those who are in danger of falling with the awful warning of judgment on the false teachers who are misleading God's people. Peter's challenging us to be on continuous watch, lest our lives stretch God's patience to the limit. We should use every opportunity to share our faith with others as his coming draws near. Paul also emphasizes this in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, wherein he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you hear that? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance so that you would turn to him. Evangelism should be the forefront of all that we do as a body of Christ. And so I have to ask this challenging question. I need to ask it of myself. I need to ask it of every one of you that are listening today. And that this, when was the last time you shared the good news of Christ with somebody? I mean, you didn't talk about church. You talked about, do you know you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you need to realize that you need to repent from your sin and turn to him to be saved? Because the greatest news that they need to hear is that they need Jesus Christ. And if that's really the most important thing, then why aren't, we say, why aren't we telling people about it? The challenge for us as believers is to be motivated by looking outward to fulfill, first of all, the great commandment. You say, what's the great commandment? I, I'm glad you asked that. In Matthew 22, 37 to 39, in Scripture, read this. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first the great and first commandment. And the second is like this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Loving one another as Christ loved us. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Great Commandment, the Great Commission. That's imperative that we share those things with those who are desperately in need of hearing that. But we read in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter has been concerned in defending God's word 
from attack throughout <coughs> excuse me, this letter. He now asserts biblical truth that should catch our attention <coughs> and cause us to sit up and take notice. He would have heard these words from Jesus' own lips. In Matthew 24, 42 to 44, Jesus said this to the disciples. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would not have his house been broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is a counterbalance to what Peter has been saying. He's saying God is patient, but there's coming a day when God says, no more delay. And that day will be an unwelcome shock to those who thought it wasn't going to happen. To emphasize this, he describes it as a thief coming and catching you unawares. You weren't prepared. You weren't expecting it. And he said, that's what the day of the Lord's going to be. It's going to come on unexpectedly. And th this truth, in a sense, counters Christian apathy to Christ's coming. Because a lot of people say, well, I, I believe in the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ, the fact he, he could come back at any moment. But if he could come back at any moment, then how then should I be living? I should be living in such a way as that when he comes back, I'm going to rejoice say, Lord, it's good to see you. But I'm afraid for many of people that when they see the second coming of Christ and recognize it, there'll be a sense in their hearts, oh man, I've been living for myself, because, you know, we, we, we do live, let's, let's be honest, we live in a narcissistic society, and truth be told, a lot of us as believers can be very in love with ourselves and what we want for ourselves. We can lose our focus of serving the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and we can focus on what I can do to better my life, what I can do to make my life much better. There's nothing wrong with living your life in balance. God wants us to live good lives. God wants us to look after us. But if that becomes the total focal point of my life, I'm off track. And that's why many believers are apathetic to Christ's coming because if we knew that Christ was coming back tomorrow, what things would change in your life? What are the values in your life? What would your focus change? What would happen in your life if you knew he was coming back tomorrow? Would you make changes? And so, get on it. It also, in a sense, subdues enthusiasm to Christ coming and realizing the destruction that is to follow. What I mean by that is this. What Peter is saying here is that when Christ comes back, the world is going to be destroyed. So many have argued over when is Christ coming back. It's not funny. Let me give you an illustration. This actually happened. Back in May 21st, uh, uh, probably, I think it was around uh, 2011. Yeah, 2011. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, there's a guy named Harold Camping who had family radio proclaimed that May 21st is the day of the rapture and the start of Judgment Day. And around 6 p.m. in each zone, according to the camping, there'll be a tremendous earthquake that will alert the world that Judgment Day has begun. And so camping estimates that only about 3% of the world's population will be raptured while the rest witness the horrible events of destruction until October 21st, when the world will then come to an end. 
And he put this up on billboards all throughout North America, warning, Jesus Christ is coming soon. There have been many, many so-called prophecies. But let's understand what Scripture says about the coming of the Lord. In Mark 13, 32, Jesus Christ said these words. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. He said, only the Father knows when he's going, or when this day of the Lord's happening. When the disciples were challenging Christ in the book of Acts, just before he ascended into heaven, before the day of Pentecost, they said, Lord, when are you coming back? What did he say in verse 7? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He also said this about that day in Luke 21, verse 2. He said, and there will be signs in the sun and moons and stars and on the earth, the distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. In Matthew 24, 29, Jesus went on to say, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. He also went on to say in verse 35 of the same chapter, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What's he saying? This whole earth, the heavens, everything is going to be destroyed. See, Peter takes the words of Christ to describe the events of Christ's second coming. He sees that the elements of nature will be destroyed. He's directing the focus of the people to the great climax of world history. He states, of course, that the heavens will disappear with a roar. He's using apocalyptic language. He wants us to understand that God is going to judge the world and he's going to remold everything. He's going to remake everything brand new. Next, he states that the elements will be destroyed by fire. The element is in reference to the stars, the galaxy, the planets. So Peter, in a sense, is like Isaiah when he says this in Isaiah 34, verse 4. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from a fig tree. The prophet Joel also prophesied about this day of the Lord. He says, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Peter sees all the elements of the universe destroyed by fire. Destruction is so vast that we begin to see how futile it is for us to think that we can bring about Christ's kingdom through social change or through new governments. God says, see all this world? I'm going to destroy every part of it. And I'm going to make a new heaven and I'm going to make a new earth. So don't fall in love too much with this world because it's all going to burn up eventually someday. See, nothing less will accomplish God's purpose of a new heavens and earth he states that the world will be laid bare. If the entire cosmos is to be destroyed, earth will be included in that. Everything God has made and done, everything that man has made or done, will be destroyed. Remember the parable that Jesus shared about the master who had left his servants, and he comes back to inspect them in Luke 19, verses 11 through to 27. He comes back and he says, I've left you with... This one servant with, so many, with ten talents, one with five, and one with, uh, with one. And each one, he said, I'm coming back, and I'm going to check up and see what you've done with what I've given you. It's really a terrifying picture that Peter has drawn for us to describe what may be hard for us to grasp. 
it's hard to imagine these events actually happening because we think, oh, the world is just continue on like it always has. Remember what Peter is saying. No, God spoke this world into existence. He, cre- he also uh, put the flood into play to wipe out the uh, ungodly men and women that were alive at that point. There's a sense that God is going to judge the world again, and we need to be mindful of that. Remember, our God is a creator, judge, and savior of the world. This is not what I call popular teaching. Because you see, this presents God as a, as a, a God who's harsh, a God who's judgmental. But again, remember, why is he waiting? He's holding back so that people can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible starts with and finishes with God who created this world and is going to start and with a new world that he will create. He's a God who made us in his image, and then because that image was marred, he remakes it again in Christ. He's a God who says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, ever pass away. Challenging truth from God's word. And next week, we're going to look at what the the ethics of these truths are to portray in our lives. What I mean by that is, because we know these truths to be true, then what kind of life should we be living in this world as a result of these truths? Because you say, Pastor, it's, it's pretty depressing when you think about what's going to happen. I think, yeah. But it's a reminder that our God is a holy God. He's a just God. And he will judge this world and he will destroy it and create a new heavens and a new earth, a new beginning for all of us. I'm thankful that he took for many of us we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and he took that old life, we got rid of it, and he gave us a new life in Christ so we live holy and godly to glorify him in all that we say and do. God is in the business of remaking, remolding, and taking out the trash and giving us a whole new life that can be lived in honor and glory for him. That's his passion, that's his desire. And my friend, you need to understand today that he wants to do that work in your life. I don't know where you're standing right now or where you're seated Maybe you're at home on the couch watching this right now, and you need to understand this. That if you not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's not willing that you should perish. He wants you to put your faith and trust in him so that he can remake in your heart and your life a new person, a new being. And you say, do you need a fresh start, my friend, today? Do you need to be remade? Are there things in your life that have held you back? Are there things that have really tripped you up? Then, If the answer is yes, then come to Christ and put your faith and trust in him. Ask him to forgive your sin. And the Bible says that to all that place their faith and trust in him, he gives new life. Put away the old, put on the new. That's all done through God because he desires, he rejoices in taking that which is rotten, sinful, and coming into that, wiping it clean, and giving us new life. That's the wonderful part. God is a God of second chances. Maybe today you need a second chance. And I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to our hearts today. And Father, these are pivotal passages that we've been studying in Second Peter. And I pray, Father God, for those who are listening today, that they would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they might realize that God wants to do a new work in their hearts and lives. That God wants to take out the old and make it new. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful that you have that power and ability to do that. Lord, also, 
we're also cognizant of the fact, Father, that you're coming back. So Lord, help us to live our lives as holy and pure, expecting your coming again. So help us to redeem the time, Father, by sharing the good news with people that need Jesus. Embolden us, strengthen us through your Spirit to open up our mouths and to share the good news of Christ with those who desperately need it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.